Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 242, On Failure, presented by Jason Morningstar, Jacqueline Brick, and Alistair Guzman. Uh, more harm. Yeah. 
Right now I'm having kinesthetic failure because holding this microphone like this, when I want to talk, it's like, oh, this sucks for my wrist. Uh, you, you want me to hold your microphone? No, I'll be fine. It's, I think it's important just because I want to make sure everybody can hear. Uh, and if we don't hold them, they won't. You want us to get in the back closer here? You want us to all try to get Yeah, get closer. Yeah, we're we're all friends here. here. Yeah. That, that might be better. If you I will closer. project. And the microphones are just on the edge of the back. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about it's, that. I wonder if tilting the speakers so that they're not facing. That's the problem. That's part of the problem. Yeah. We're all friends here. Oh, something we do want to acknowledge in this panel is we are not making a moral judgment on failure. Yeah, no, for sure. We are absolutely not doing that. That is not what this panel is about. It's important to me. Uh, uh, the reason that I, I wanted to, that, that I proposed this as a topic is because uh, I, I don't think it gets discussed enough or normalized. Like, uh, it, this is just a part of, uh, failing is part of the process. And uh, the, the idea of discussing it uh, is sometimes deprecated. Uh, we talk about our successes and we celebrate them, but we don't necessarily discuss our failures, which are obviously super informative, and you learn a ton from things that don't go right. I have a quick question for the audience, if you don't mind. Sure. How many of you ever failed a test in school and your parents or teachers got angry at you for it? Can you raise your hands? Yeah. So failing in game design is not the same as failing in school because you have the option to redo it. You always have the option to redo something in your game. You always have the option to learn from your failure. And instead of being like, oh, you got a 79%, which was like failure in my school on this test, you can't retake it and you need to study harder for the next one. It's, oh, you can retest, you can retake the test, quote unquote, as many times as you need to before you put it out there. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good point. So what can we, what can we learn from failure? What's, uh, what are important lessons that you can take away from things that are not succeeding? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, normally, uh, when you start, when you fail at something, I have like, several examples. You start, first thing is you start blaming yourself, or you start blaming your decisions. Especially if you have an anxiety disorder. Yeah, especially if you have anxiety of any kind of mental disorder, it can get even worse. One of the things I have learned in my past failures, not only in game design, but also like trying to make companies from biotech or from other stuff, is yes, you can make, you, you have messed up, and sometimes, yes, it was because of your own decisions, but it's already done, and it is not worth just to dwell on it. You actually have to try to learn from it. Say, okay, I made this decision at this point, why did I make it? Why did I think at that moment that choosing these co-founders or going with these artists was a good, was a good decision? So you can try to backtrack your steps and say, okay, I went with this artist because I only watched their Instagram and I, the first three pictures, I really liked them and I never see the rest of the book. Okay, so going forward, I'm going to see complete Instagram of the artist and see if anyone has worked with them. So you start like backtracking yourself all the little steps. And sometimes the steps like very simple, like for example, you can have, you can have like a very good artist, like the whole book is awesome. And we start getting the final results. It turns out that you decide to hire them in the middle of a school year and they're still studying, so they don't put out the time for your own project. So sometimes like very small things that when you have to backtrack yourself all the steps you did to find out what went wrong. And while doing all of this, trying not to blame yourself for deciding that, which can get very difficult if you're not mental. Yeah. 
and I'm pretty sure most of us in the room have had some experience with anxiety disorders. I know I do. Um, and it's really hard to not see failure as a sign that you should just stop working on the game. But as Jason said in the beginning of the panel, it's it's just a normal part of game design. You're gonna do things wrong. Like, hell, I'm working for Wizards of the Coast right now because they liked my writing enough, and my creative director went, hey, you're not giving us enough output. I'm like, I don't know what enough output is. Could you please tell me? And then she did. She didn't yell at me, and I was shocked. But, you know, that was a fail state, is I wasn't putting out enough output. So I had to ask her for what minimum output was, and then I did that, and now I'm no longer in the fail state. Something that uh, I think is also worth thinking about in terms of uh, how we view our, our creative output is that uh, many times things that are that you might look at as a, a failure or a, a dead end or a, or a design rabbit trail that didn't really lead somewhere productive, um, those are things that you can put in your... Go ahead and pull your chair closer, we're all friends. Pull your chair closer so you can hear us. Yeah, as long as you can hear us. Sir. I'll just sit over here. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you, you can put stuff in your drawer and pull it out later, and even things that you don't know how to solve. <coughs> Excuse me. There are uh, a number of uh, times in my sort of design trajectory when uh, I was confronted with a problem that I just didn't have the tools to solve, and that uh, that's not uncommon at all. Uh, and when that happens, if I can't find a way around it that, that makes sense at the time, I'll just put it away. It's not necessarily uh, a brick wall, uh, because maybe in a few years I will have those tools. Or maybe someone else will invent those tools and I can steal them, which is usually what happens. Uh, <coughs> and then I can uh, open the drawer, and that work isn't necessarily wasted. very important in failures is when you start, what are you using to measure your own failure? You're going to compare yourself to, for example, in the gaming industry to, my Kickstarter only raised X amount of money, but other company made something similar and they raised Y amount of money. When you start comparing yourselves, you can make your failures seem bigger than they are. And many times you have to put yourself into context. For example, I'm a first time designer, I would talk like this on a personal project. For us, the maze was like a half commercial failure. Yes, we managed to raise the amount of money we needed, but it was like very low amount of money in initial stages. And many people have, well, your game looks actually very good. Why didn't sell anymore? You should have raised at least double your Kickstarter. And when we finished, we were like, okay, we funded, but this is like way too low for our expectations. And then we started like finding out that we were comparing ourselves to companies that have been like making at least two Kickstarters per year. Even they were a small companies, they have been in the business way longer than us. We had the disadvantage of being like a foreign company that for a lot of people that was like a scam, that potential scam issue. And when you start like feeling that stories need to stop comparing to your others and more try to understand different situations and like put yourself in the different situations and context for the projects that you're making or the games that you're working on. For example, it's not going to be the same measure of success if you're making, for example, a World of Darkness, the new version of Mage and Werewolf, that you're making your own small OSR retro clone that five people are going to play, but they're really going to enjoy them. <laughs> you have to be very conscious of what, what your measure of personal success is or even a commercial success. 
one thing that can also happen, especially a lot in the game industry, is you can say, yeah, I can do the project with only $5,000, but you internally, you know that if you want this to be like at least sustainable, you have to make twice as that. So you have to start like uh, like putting on the table what exactly is going to be your measure of success. Number of backers, how many people you are going to get to play your game, number of reviews, you can have like a game that is reviewed by everyone and nobody buy. So you have to think, okay, my success is going to be this and this and this, and then start working toward those goals. And then you start failing at some point, just like, okay, I fail at this, I will continue toward the rest of the goals and see what happens. Because if you let one of your small mistakes along the way stop you, everything else will crumble, and that's not going to be fun at the end. Yes. Uh, so you would, um, what I'm hearing, if I were to sum it, it's a lot of expectation man management on yourself. Like, yes. yes. How I need to judge and like creating uh, incremental goals, smaller incremental goals. Because if you set the bar too high, you're more likely to fail than not. Yes. You're more likely to have a personal failure if you have a goal that is too high for you. Like if, like for me, I have a lot of self-published stuff on itch, and a lot of it is laid out by my lovely layout designer who's sitting in the audience right now. And um, we use a lot of stuff from Pexels and Unsplash, and it's a lot of you know uh, Creative Commons photography. And my games do not sell as well as, for example, games by Sadia Bias, who uh, has original art for all of their games, and they do all of their own original art because they are a professional artist. And they're something like fifth most popular physical game on Itch.io, and I'm somewhere down like 22nd or 23rd, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, nobody's buying my games, this is terrible, but when you consider that there are something like 2,000 physical games on Itch.io, being in the 20s or 30s really isn't that bad. <laughs> so it's, again, it's expectation and perspective management. Now, that being said, it's not the same as going to for the lower level of objective. Like, you have to be realistic, okay, I can accomplish 100,000 of everything starter, but also don't go to the other side of the coin, that just get like to your lower level because you have this is like a very difficult thing to self measure to plan. That I have like high enough goals that you can achieve them, or that you're also challenging yourself to get to them, or that you are not going to get anxious or depressed if you don't reach them. I know it's like a very hard concept to explain. Like aim high enough, but not so high that you won't reach it. Can we talk about um, uh, personal or uh, aesthetic? Uh, failure, something that might be well received, but that uh, doesn't meet your own standards, or that uh, doesn't uh, doesn't achieve what you had imagined for it. Oh, sure. Uh, at Metatopia, a couple of Metatopias ago, Evan Torner and I put out a game called The Intrepid Seven, which was about um, seven polyamorous colonists trying to. Oh. Sorry, I think I think I think I'm just gonna have feedback because I'm in the middle. Sorry. Thanks, guys. Um, but the Intrepid Seven was supposed to be a bunch of genders, and I think I'm just haunted. Maybe there's a ghost. It has to do with your high frequency of your voice. Oh, they don't okay. do it, and it's maybe how it turns on the horse itself. No, can you, turn, can you turn off the mics when you're not talking? That's a good idea. Okay, how about that? Cool. Oh wow, that did work, good job. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so I think my mic also turned off. I'm just going to project. <laughs> Luckily, I was an actor, so I can project. Can you hear me in the back? That's actually better. You, sir, in the back. Can you hear me? Perfect. So, um, Evan Turner and I put out a game called The Intrepid Seven, which was supposed to be about a group of seven polyamorous colonists terraforming a game. Uh, terraforming a world, rather. And it was supposed to have a mix of, you know, genders in the game. We wound up getting seven male playtesters, and several of whom were very uncomfortable with the idea of romancing other male playtesters. And many of them did not get the ritual element of the game, so the playtest kind of fell apart halfway through. And it was kind of a struggle for me, because I, I up until that point, I had never had a playtest fail. And I was very upset, and Evan pointed out to me, and Evan's been doing game design for much longer than I have, that sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you don't playtest with the right people, or you didn't give them enough information, or shit happens and you gotta learn to roll with it. But the great thing was, Evan and I did wind up sort of simplifying the ritual sheets and stuff, and I sort of handed the game over to Evan and was like, this is your baby now, because I don't really want to deal with it anymore. And now the game is actually in the French National Archives of freeform role-playing. So that's pretty cool. It, apparently the French LARP scene was like, polyamorous LARP? Yes. <laughs> Give it to us. <coughs> like, okay. One thing I, I hope... Can you hear me? Good? Okay. Just making sure, because... Uh, uh, anyway, the, so the microphone's not working. We'll use our voices. That's it's okay. Um, one thing that I hope you're hearing is that in many cases, particularly in an iterative discipline like this, failure is just uh, sort of a, st a speed bump in, in a process. Yes. So the, the example that Jack just gave, the game was refined based on what could be construed as a catastrophe, right? Oh, uh, it absolutely felt like a catastrophe in the moment, to be yeah. clear. But, but in the, you know, with, with a little bit of distance, yeah. you know, there, are ways, there are ways to solve what sounds like isn't really a problem, but more like dumb players. But <laughs> anyway, the, the, uh, that, that's certainly been my experience, that uh, many times something that, that just doesn't work uh, because of the, the nature of uh, the, the, our, our discipline, uh, it, it means that you can iterate on it and find ways either to route around that particular thing or to solve it in a way that's going to improve the final game ultimately. Yeah. Um, so, so like failures, maybe the maybe the wrong word to use for those kinds of those kinds of challenges. Setbacks, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Speed bump. Um, I like your speed bump. Speed right? bump. There's speed bumps. Because it, it sort of it sort of gives me, and I have ADHD, so bear with me for a moment here. It sort of gives me this mental image of you coming up to like a bump and you don't have enough speed to get over it, so you have to back up and then rev up and then go over it. Because you mentioned with a little bit of distance, mm -hmm. it seems smaller. Sure. So. But we do fail. Right? Sometimes we fail hard, and I do want to address that and talk about that. And yes, we can learn from those failures as well, but let's just be sort of clear about that. Uh, we can make mistakes that cost us money, that can cost us reputation. We can make mistakes that uh, are embarrassing or destructive, and I don't want to minimize that. Yep. And certainly, we've all made them. Uh, I made one at this con. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> you were there for it. Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I went up to oh, my... Oh, you're going to tell everybody. Yeah, yeah I thought it was funny. <laughs> so I went up to my ex, who's a game designer at this con, and his girlfriend, and he introduced me to his current girlfriend, and I went, hi, 
name. I am my ex's ex. And everybody just went... It was a little awkward. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. But apparently everyone else around me did not agree. <laughs> so, um, in, in my experience, many of the things that I consider failures end up being... Um, related to having enthusiasm that exceeds uh, my ability to set realistic goals. Uh, and uh, the times when I've been bitten the hardest are times when I've genuinely loved something so much that I, I just stopped looking at the red flags related to the project. Uh, anybody here have, have that experience? Anybody? <laughs> Jeff Tidball raised his hand real high. <laughs> and and uh, I think that's super relevant to what we're talking about because we're not here because we're a bunch of business moguls. We're, we're here because we love playing games. And uh, when a game is super cool, you want to see it in the world. And sometimes that, in my experience, can get in the way of, of all those other things yeah. like being rational uh, that can lead having to, perspective having perspective that can lead to some you know to like a, a, a pretty serious uh, failure either a financial failure or a uh, a personal failure just related to a, a particular project that you love but that is just not it's not the right time you're not the right person it's not going to come together um, so I'd also like to think about how do we identify those how do, you, how do you see those red flags when you've got your I love games goggles on any thoughts on that? Yeah. In my case, yeah, I have had several of those when you're like too married to some of the stuff of the game. No, this game is awesome and I want to make it. The main, I mean, in my experience, the best way to cope with that is just to start asking around. Ask other people to check your work, to test it. And sometimes it's not that you don't, you have to not be there. Like, for example, try this game, I will just keep the rules and I will go to the other room and I promise I will not spy on you. Because sometimes when, especially when you're like, for example, here playtesting, there's, oh yeah, that mechanic is not working, but you should try blah, 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 blah. And you're not actually fixing the experience, you're not actually fixing the problem. You're just like putting a small parchment of it on top of it. And it's like, yeah, this should probably work better later. And then you end up not fixing it because you really like that part. So sometimes it's better if someone else just like still just told you straight to the face like yeah this is not working because that's 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 and yeah you have to in this case of games do get other people to read your work and tell you what not to do. Uh, another thing here, also be sure of who you are asking. Yeah. For example, if you're working on a very very crunchy game and you're asked for feedback from people who only like story games. Your feedback is probably not going to be the same as for people that do like crunchy games. Like, yeah, your game is too crunchy because blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, but you don't like this kind of games. And the other is like, why did you give it to me in the first place? So try to look at people that has worked something similar to you, to what you are doing, and just ask for the feedback because they, they already have experience on what you are doing. You're going to make a PVTA game. There's a lot of designers here that are on their own PVTA games and they have a lot of experience. If you are doing something like very crunchy, D&D, 3.5, Pathfinder, but with more rules. There are probably people around that like that kind of game and that can give you feedback. It's also, go look for the people that work on that and ask them. Uh, I see that many of the issues that I have seen, well, it happened more in biotechnology when I was working on that, is that you don't want to ask other people because of fear that they will not like your idea or that they will try to steal it. That doesn't happen in games. You will get, nobody wants to steal your idea. Each of us has their over, over, very own ideas that we want to develop. To be fair, 
people will want to steal your idea, but they will also want to put your name on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And be like, I got this mechanic from Jason Morningstar. Often, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, not, not often that you steal from me, but often that you steal from me. That you know. Quoted. We have it on record. I know. It's, it's too late now. Hey, so, so uh, I wanted to leave a little time, and this is a little self-indulgent, but I wanted to leave a little time for each of us to maybe tell a war story about something yeah. that, that we considered a failure. And we're going to each do that briefly, and then maybe we'll open it up and just have a conversation. I think I've already told my war stories already. You told, you told a good one. Yeah. Uh, let me let me uh, let me start. Yeah, I, do I, it. I hope that you have one as well. Yeah. A good I, story I, for some failure. So this is uh, I think this is an interesting case because I consider it a failure in a variety of ways that's going to result in an awesome product that's going to make me some money and that people are going to love and be really happy with. So with that said, uh, a long time ago, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, kickstarted a game. And uh, there was some excitement about it, and uh, I said, I want to support you. You're my friend. I'm going to do a stretch goal for your game if you want it. And he said, absolutely, I want you to do that. And I, uh, I agreed to do it, uh, and I sketched it out, and we, we had, a, we had a, a gentleman's agreement. Uh, his game was a big success, <coughs> continues to be a very big success. But these stretch goals didn't necessarily uh, materialize uh, and there was no pressure to, to get it done. And I wasn't going to do the work until there was pressure to get it done because at this point we had a gentleman's agreement for some free labor. Uh, so, uh, so finally uh, the outraged internet fanboys came, came at him and said you need to finish your Kickstarter, which, was now, which had been produced, but all the things he had promised, including my work, uh, hadn't, been materi- hadn't materialized. Uh, so, so then I became on the hook not only to do this thing, which I'd agreed to, but in the, in the interim, the really pretty simple, flashy, small game that, had, that I had helped him play test and that I liked had turned into a real monolith that I wasn't as excited about and didn't have any affinity for anymore. Uh, but, I, but I still had to make a game for it, and uh, it, the, the project scope w- became uh, much more complicated than what I had initially agreed to. Uh, and uh, as a result, uh, I did a lot of work that uh, was challenging and uh, is wasn't what I wanted to be doing and that disrupted other things in my life. Uh, the end result will be that there's going to be a cool supplement for this other game that will have my name on it and I think people will love it and it will be very popular and that's good. But I made a commitment out of, out of my desire to embrace mutualism and to support a friend that really came back to bite me as a creative failure ultimately. And that was a result of my enthusiasm outpacing my ability to set realistic goals. If I had, and there are some pieces of that that were unknown. I didn't know his game was going to become a smash hit. I didn't know that there was going to be some disorganization in terms of how these things were going to be actualized. Um, there were a lot of pieces that were outside of my ability to understand, but that innate enthusiasm came back to really bite me in this case, and I consider that a, a personal failure. Uh, so uh, that is an example and a war story from me, with all the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> um, so how many of you are familiar with Exalted? Cool. How many of you know about the Forest Witches? Yay! At least two people. Okay, so the Forest Witches were originally written by Jenna Moran, and for those of you who don't know, Jenna Moran is kind of a goddess in this industry. People are like, oh my god, her prose is so amazing, and her games are so wild and crazy and really cool. And I was asked to rewrite the Forest Witches for third edition. Oh. 
So I asked Jenna Moran, I'm like, hi, Jenna Moran, how do I rewrite the four switches? And I get back an 11 paragraph email from her that basically boils down to, here's how you make a Jenna Moran AI in your head to tell you how to write the forest switches. And I'm like, Jenna Moran is a programmer, so I will try and read through this. And I didn't really understand her idealect. So I was like, okay. So I asked some people who knew about forest switches. And I was like, okay, I, I know what forest switches are now, and I have an idea of what I'm going for, so I'm gonna do that. So I essentially just rewrite in new words what Jenna Moran had written for Forest Witches. What I had written was about 12 pages. I get back 14 pages of edits saying you weren't supposed to re you weren't supposed to you weren't supposed to rewrite what Jenna Moran said word for word, but you were also supposed to rewrite what Jenna Moran said word for word. And I was like, "What?" So I went to my editor, the lovely Dixie Cochran, and said, hey, what the fuck? She said, that's weird. What the fuck? And went and talked to my designers. And that was a personal failure on my part because instead of actually asking the designers what they wanted, I was afraid of looking like I didn't understand Jenna Moran, which I didn't. But I didn't want to look like I was disrespecting this goddess of gaming. So instead, I just rewrote the whole thing, got back many last notes, and turned it into something that I think people are actually going to really like and enjoy, much the same as Jason's story. But it was a very embarrassing uh, failure for me in the middle because I was working with somebody who was writing augmented reality in a high fantasy world that I didn't actually understand. So I... I did not set my own expectations, I did not ask for other people's expectations, and I did not set boundaries of, hey, until you tell me what you actually want me to write, I cannot and will not write this. I'm hearing some common themes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, in my case, I will also file out the numbers. Fortunately, my name is not I attached. didn't. <laughs> now, fortunately, my name is not, I use Alastor, and they didn't use the Alastor, so I'm kind of safe for, from that. Yeah. So I was designing these mechanics for this game. It was one of my very first gigs. So as a new game designer, I was like very excited and I just say yes to everything. And one of the main mistakes was not reading that much into the setting. And turns out the setting had like several, to put it like several colonialist, racist, Ooh. among other things, issues. So at that moment I was like, had like my name attached to this. And well, I do consider a personal failure because eventually when all the backlash came after them, it was okay, maybe we should hire a cultural consultant and maybe we should try to change this. And they did, but at the moment it really hit me and probably got me from some freelance gigs because he was like, yeah, I don't care if your game mechanics are very good. The game it is attached to it is not a nice, particularly not something that we want to be associated with. So I count that as a personal failure because it actually set me back a little because it was like, okay, now I need to erase this part from the CV, even if I work a lot on that. And the mechanics are really good. I mean, I still, I will defend that mechanics too with my life. Oh. I will not defend the setting, I will defend the mechanics. <laughs> but it was a personal failure because I should have known a little more better about the industry and about who, who would associate and who would not, you don't want to be associated with. Yeah. So I will count that as a failure. It's a sad tale of woe. Three sad tales of woe. 
But I bet you have sad tales of woe as well. I feel like I should have <laughs> filed by serial numbers. <laughs> 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 that was... Well, this one's all about you, I think. Wow. No, no, in, in a good way. Like, in a... <laughs> you didn't stop implicate anyone else. You didn't implicate yeah. anybody but yourself. I love you, Jason. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we have about 10 minutes uh, for... We can we have, have a... a we, yeah, we have a, lo- we have a little over 15, because it's like... It, that one says, like, it's 130-something. Yeah, you've got about 25, oh, 20, sweet. 25 of them. Great. Okay. Well, let's, okay. Have a, let's have a conversation. Tell uh, us your and, stories. And uh, I, I, we would be happy to answer questions or uh, with, uh, with some tight editorial control by me, listen to your own stories of failure. <laughs> but, but just uh, have a thick skin because I will cut you off if it turns into a rambling monologue. Uh, I can make this real short, but um, I have a story of commercial and financial failure. Cool. Lay it on uh, us. That, uh, was extremely educational uh, and good for a subsequent Kickstarter. So um, my Kickstarter for Ruined Empire, um, I made $200 on, uh, partly because uh, I'm Canadian and the Saudis decided that they hated the oil sands three months after my Kickstarter funded and they tanked the Canadian dollar. So I funded at parity with the US dollar and all of my expenses were in US dollars. So I lost like 25% of my funds to currency woes. Um, But, you know, and it, it, I ended up eating all of my own profits because uh, I had people that I hired to do things and I was like, obviously I'm going to pay them an ethical wage. So it ended up coming out of my pocket. But the lesson that I learned is that something always goes wrong and you cannot predict what it's going to be. so when I did my Kickstarter for the watch, um, not only did I budget uh, an ethical wage for myself, uh, very important, um, but I put in a 10% oh shit fund. Uh, and we actually did have some shipping problems that ate into my oh shit fund, um, but I got a 28% margin on the watch, which is like the best I've done with any Kickstarter and I've run five. Um, and like that was hugely educational for me, uh, and like a huge learning process. But like the biggest lesson that the Ruined Empire taught me of like I spent a year of my life for two hundred dollars, uh, and like no one bought it after the Kickstarter. So that was like an added like um, insult to injury. But it taught me uh, always aggressively budget for to pay yourself for your work, and then ten percent, like. Just add ten percent, just just because. It's like tithing. Because <laughs> yeah, like something's gonna happen that you can't predict. Uh, Tithes for the Kickstarter gods. Yeah. It's hard-earned wisdom, Anna. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good one. So there's a lot of failures that don't have a very high cost, or you know the cost is you know personal and you feel bad about it. But there, you know, you mentioned that there are some failures that can you know be really financial, like spending a year of your life on, oh boy, 200 bucks. Um, are there any kind of lessons that, you know, you guys gave your war stories, but are there any lessons that you can impart or any kinds of failures you recommend, you know, learn from other people <coughs> in these cases because you really don't want to experience this kind of thing? Yes. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have. Uh, so have at least as good boundaries uh, for your game design as you do for dating. Like, <laughs> please treat treat your game design like you are dating. Do not 
If somebody does not work with, does not work well with you, does not mesh with you, do not work with them. If somebody is gaslighting you, if somebody is, if somebody is reading, giving you red lines, which are edits on what you write, if you're doing work for hire, and they're an asshole to you in the red lines, don't work for them. If they don't tell you what they actually want, and then they get mad at you for not mind reading, don't work for them. Just literally, if they have any of the common red flags of dating when you are working for them, don't work for them. <laughs> that's great advice. Yeah. 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 And to be clear, so that's hard to follow. What? That analogy of like game design <coughs> boundaries should equal dating boundaries yeah. is for employment. Mm. Uh, it's for employment and it's for you employing other people. Right. Okay. If they that's that's there's some reciprocity there. Like you okay. might if you're getting shit from someone that you're contracting to do work for you, yeah. that's the same kind of red Yeah, if, if they yeah. ghost you, if they, you know, are constantly picking nits about their contract, if they are not treating your material with respect. I like using dating analogies for things like gaming game design and therapy, so but it works. And if nothing else, if you're if you're considering becoming a freelancer or working with other people in in this industry, and like, you will, you will you will always work with other people in this industry. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. Then it's uh, it's just important to be professional and to be clear and to communicate with people, just like you would in any other circumstance, uh, for sure. Yeah. Also, get it in writing. Yep. Yes. Yep. I know you want to know what it is to cover a contract, and I'm not a freelancer. I want to be, but always get it in writing. And no matter what you do, even even if the writing is unprofessional, like I sent out, I sent out my contracts to my freelancers for a LARP I'm running next year, and the contract itself is very beautiful and you know um, laid out because I had an actual lawyer do it for me, and then I did my statement of work myself, and it's just a Google Doc saying, you know, here's what I need you to do by this date. Do you agree to do this by this date? And it doesn't look nearly as pretty as the contract, but the contract has the if you have, uh, you will get payment if you complete everything listed in the statement of work. So, yeah, just always have it in writing. Always, always, always. Uh, as for my failure, um, this is personal. Uh, uh, I had a game with some buddies that we had a company and it, it unfortunately didn't work out. In the long run, people lost interest. Not That's not the main story. But I was the main designer and I came up with some, what I thought at the time was really good ideas, really fun stuff. And some fun stuff did come out of it. But my buddy had to sit down with me one evening over beers and go, this isn't working. And he flat out told me, this is one of my best friends, was like, you're not as good at this as you think you are. Well, that's a hard conversation. Uh, and, and because I was trying to defend it, I was trying to defend my choices, and he, he and others weren't getting it, and it wasn't getting through to my head what the problem was. After a very serious conversation, afterwards, and I calmed down, and, I re-looked at it, I went, they're right. It's not as good as it needs to be, and it can be better. And not to make, like, try to try to put a lesson on this, but for me, when I look at feedback and I look at design, I'm going, okay, this is what a design is, but if I get feedback, I need to go, how can it be better? What can the experience be better for everyone involved? Good. And really try to detach yourself from that. Something else that I hear in that story is to have some a trusted advisor or trusted yeah. yes. people in your life that can be like, no, dude, right? I mean, that's I'm hard. that's really hard. Yeah. I married mine, so you can trust to do that. Right? It, yeah, it is. It's uh, but it's incredibly valuable. That's you know. a good call. Any 
applies for outside of contracts because they have a way to resolve problems. But how do you back out of something that's clearly going south and a when it needs to be done delicately? Yeah. Uh, so. This is one of those cases, and I don't normally advocate lying to your employers, but this is one of those cases where you go, hey, I don't have time, I, I checked my schedule, I, I don't have time for this, I'm so sorry. Here, you know, if you can find someone else to recommend to them for it, I, re I suggest you do that, but if you can't, it's not on you, it's on them. And, be, and do it as soon as possible. Do not, leaving them hanging is unprofessional. Don't ghost them, don't, don't wait until a week before you're supposed to turn it in. Just be, if you get a bad feeling, or if you look at this and you're like, I can't write for this, even if it's just, even if it's not bad, even if it's just, I have, I don't like the setting, or I just, I'm not feeling it, and I'm not going to feel it, just, hey, you know, I realize I don't have time in my schedule for this, I'm sorry, I should have told you earlier. Just, very simple. That's also a, um, that's also a failure Right, that, that that early in the process you didn't identify that it wasn't going to work, and I would counsel that it's way better to, to take less work, or if something gives you any kind of hinky feeling, just to, to say no up front, uh, so that you don't have to make that call, because well, that that call is bad for everyone. <coughs> also, on that line, you can always check with other people in the industry that you trust them. For example, in this example mm -hmm. I gave. I actually talk with people I know around that I met here. And okay, you want to get out, you need to do this and this and this, and you will have to do this two months in advance because you are created as blah, blah, blah. So you need to check your contract if it says this, this, and this. So as I as they mentioned, check with a mentor and always talk with other people in the industry because most of these experiences, like with bad contracts or with bad projects, most of the people have already experienced them and they can tell, tell you possible way out, ways out. And uh, one important thing to mention is that, uh, at least in my short experience in game design, reputation is very important. How do you are dealing with companies, or if you're the kind of person that never sends the work on time, and stuff like that, it actually people remember. It's not that big of a room. We, many people know each other, or know someone that knows you. So always try like, to leave, you need to leave for whatever reason, Always try to do it like in a good terms, like never like to tell to say that no, I hate your work, it's terrible, and <laughs> left out. It may feel good at that moment, but it's going to hurt you later now. So always like, like try to keep it civil and yeah, ask around people to help for that part because I know it can be like very very hard, especially if you have been working for some time of it. So yeah, ask people around and always have a second option to get yep. up there with your face intact. Something I just throw out, and this applies a lot to Kickstarter, is don't be afraid to set a high failure rate if the cost of minimal success can turn what you think yeah. is a success into a failure. Yep. Yep. Um, yes. I ran a Kickstarter a few years ago, and I set my goal way above what anybody said was the same goal. And they, they told me, you should set it you know, way down here. And I ended the campaign with a little more than $3,000 as a failure. And uh, I went back and looked at, you know, if I had set my goal low and gotten that $3,000 and tried to complete that, the amount of time and effort and energy and funds that it would have taken to complete the campaign would have easily set it as far and away a much bigger failure than just failing at the 
Like that's a constructive failure. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. you failed in exactly the right way. Right. In that case. Yeah, that's much. a really good note. Yeah. Um, I just. I think, like, I'm a self-publisher for game design stuff, and I find a lot of the time when, like, my work input is where I want to be because a fear of failure kicks in before the attempt. And I'm sure you have, like, experience with that. I was wondering if you could share, like, what particular techniques you use when fear of failure or fear of things not working out prevents you from working or pushing through a project? How do you, like, ramp up over that speed bump? I cry. <laughs> I wish I was joking. It helps a lot. <laughs> In my case, I just uh, okay. This could be a little personal. I have like many issues with the gameplay testing here. Like I always feel like it's not ready enough that it's going to fail. <laughs> so like I found I have found out that one of the best options is just like. <coughs> Even like a limited release to some people or some people you trust are just like, you know what, take it. Just do whatever you want to do with this. And whatever feedback they give you, good or bad, will help you push it forward. For example, for this game, I was normally only playtesting by myself and my co-founder. And last year at GameCon, I gave it to Amir, which is around here. And I was like, okay, you are going to be the first person outside of me and the other writer that is going to test this. And I have to go that I was like, very nervous because I have been working on that for around two years. So it was, yeah, just give it to someone and try them and let them have fun with it. And even if you get like a negative feedback, it will be okay. But I have already given it to someone, someone have already played this and enjoyed it or not, they have already done it. And I have found on a personal level that that helps you push like to the next step. Okay, people like it, at least one person like it on the table seems to have enjoyed it and I was not jamming. So I will do the next step and I will now release the Ashka. Okay, now people have, I have, 15 people download the Ashcan, okay, now I will release a starter set. So like this uh, small incremental steps, like, okay, I will give five calls for the Ashcans and see what people say about me. And that will help you in a small steps go forward and overcome it. I don't, uh, I don't feel like I have that problem. I, I don't get nervous about failure. I, I, uh, I'm not sure that I embrace it, but I accept it when it happens and uh, just move on. So it, it, I've often got six different projects going at once, and if something is just not working, it goes in a drawer, and maybe I'll revisit it. Maybe I'll have some inspiration. Maybe it just gets pulled apart for parts. Maybe it gets abandoned, and, and I don't I don't look back. Um, apart from crying, um, I, I freelance a lot, and one of my biggest one of the biggest things that makes me nervous is if I get like a high word count, something like 30 or 40,000, I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna get this done in the time. I actually schedule out, um, I will do 2,000 words this day, 2,000 words this day, and then my brain will be like, oh God, but what if it's not edited enough? I'm like, that's what editors are for. So reminding yourself that there are actually steps in place to take care of stuff is really helpful. A question, Jeff. Yeah, I, I do have a question. So oftentimes we create things in teams, and sometimes you're hiring people, sometimes you're hired, but sometimes you're involved in a mutual collaboration with a partner or with a co-designer or whatever. And I have a, this challenge arises sometimes when you are pretty certain that a project is doomed or failing, but your partners or other team members not so much. Do you have any strategies for talking to them about that? That's an awesome question. It is a really good question. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did it! 
so oh. proud of you. So uh, the, the idea that you're in a team, uh, you can see the writing on the wall, you can smell the smoke, but, but, no, <laughs> but nobody else is, is there yet. The same stuff. Um, Right. Yeah. You're not. Uh, you're not necessarily correct about it. Oh. Mm -hmm. I, actually, in, in response to that, I I have had both versions of that experience um, writing my role playing games. One where, um, you know, I sort of said to the team, "Look, if we're going to do this, we have to start actually, you know, doing the work and doing what we say we're going to do." And. You know, we had some rounds of this, and you know, I, I was not able to get my point across, and so I sort of said, you know, I think this ship is sinking. I have to leave. Mm -hmm. um, and the other people tried to make it go for a little bit, and then I think also realized it was not going to work. Um, on the flip side of that, I had a similar experience where, again, it was like, okay, you know, we, we said we were going to do it by this time. We're behind. Like, how are we going to pull ourselves out of this? We're having some group dynamics issues, like how are we going to pull ourselves out of this? And while we didn't magically fix all of our problems, we were able to have that conversation and all say, okay, no, we really are going to pull our socks up and, and get this down. And we're, you know, we're going to bring in somebody to sort of be our parent and help mediate our group dynamics problems. Um, and we did, in fact, manage to, to run a reasonably satisfactory game when we said we were going to run it and it was finished. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what the difference between those is, it's just that I, I it can go both ways. <laughs> so so uh, one comment on that, I think there, there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's a benefit to moral courage to be able mm -hmm. to say, it's on fire, we need to jump into the ocean. Uh, and uh, I've had the experience where I said, it's on fire, we need to jump, and the other person was like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> right? So, so like, there's, there, there's, th that's when moral courage is rewarded. Um, and the, the opposite of that, of course, is that they're not ready. And then, I don't, I don't know what the solution for that is, because it, clearly it's going to be, it's going to be at least fractious, right? And maybe toxic to, to the whole relationship. Uh, I don't know that I have any advice other than being honest. Um, I actually, when I told my story about Evan earlier, when I was like, oh, God, this is terrible, Evan's like, no, it just needs to be playtested some more. What I said was, look, this is your game now. You know, I, I had fun with it, but I don't, you know, I don't really feel super comfortable presenting this at this next con you want to present it at. Why don't you present it and tidy it up? And then that worked out. So sometimes it's just a matter of handing it off to someone who wants to do it. Yeah. I think that's the time we have. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us.